Hello, I'm Kyle Dyer, and welcome to Colorado Inside Out on this Friday, March 24th. It is a discouraging week in Colorado to see gun violence erupt again at one of our schools, Denver's East High School, the home of the Angels, and the school where a student, Luis Garcia, was shot and killed in his car last month. There is outrage among parents and students, and it is understandable. Our kids don't feel safe. In texting with my friend Wednesday night, an East mom, she wrote, time to make some changes in Denver. Mayor Hancock said the morning after the shooting that law enforcement and city and school officials do need to come in and make some changes. But he said for real change, this is going to involve our entire community. And so this week we are devoting our entire show to keep everyone safe and well in Denver and throughout Colorado. Gun violence in schools is not something that only happens in Denver. Our panel this week includes Patty Calhoun, founder and editor of Westward, Krista Kafer, columnist for the Denver Post, Eric Sonderman, columnist for Denver Politics and the Denver and Colorado Springs Gazettes, and Adam Berg, vice president of government affairs at Denver Metro Chamber of Commerce. Um, let's start by talking about saying what we're wishing for, for the people in this community and our city. Your thoughts, all four of you. Well, the good news is that the two school deans who were shot are recovering. One has already been sent home. One was in serious condition on Thursday after surgery, but was definitely doing better. We also see that there has been action taken, very quick action, by the Denver Police Department, by Hancock, by the school board, which is they are putting armed um, they're putting student resource officers back in the schools. You remember they were taken away by vote of the Denver School Board back in 2020 after the George Floyd protests. And in the past, there have been some concerns about unfair policing of students of color in schools. But I think we're past that now. And clearly, the students would rather feel safe and feel there is someone in authority that you don't have an educator frisking a bad kid. You have actual. SROs who are trained, who have come from the Denver Police Department. So when East is back in session, they'll have two guards. Every other Denver high school will have one guard. But a DP, D, uh, Denver Police Department trained SRO. I heard one student saying, you know, enough about the feelings of students. What about the lives of students? Mm. You know, I hate when this happens uh, for the community, obviously, but it, it makes me remember Columbine. I was a Columbine graduate. and. I remember looking at the screen. I was in D.C. at the time and, and watching the unfolding events of the most horrible thing that had happened to this community. And you just wonder why. You know, why do kids kill kids? Um, yeah, I, it, how, do you, how, do you, how, do you, how do you grapple with that, right? Um, I do think I agree with, with Patty that we definitely need school resource officers back into every building. Um, and I think we need to have a conversation around what do we do with kids who are all, who we know are troubled. Um, if, a, if a child requires a pat down to go to school, um, if he has to be, you know, if you have to look for weapons on a kid, that's part of his behavioral plan, I think it's reasonable to say maybe he shouldn't be in that school. Now, every child deserves a free and appropriate education. Where do we educate very troubled young men? Um, we know that around 72% of all teen shooters, teen killers, um, come from uh, homes without fathers, uh, single family homes. 
That means that the vast majority of people who raise kids in single-family homes are okay, but the vast majority of, of, of student killers, of kid killers, um, come from homes where they don't have both parents. Maybe we need to have a conversation around that. Uh, maybe we need to have a conversation around what do we do when we already know there's a problem so that we can keep the rest of the students and the staff safe. Mm -hmm. And Eric, close to home, your kids both went to East. Close to home indeed, yeah. Our daughter graduated from East now half a generation ago or more, and our son started East before transferring to the School of the Arts. So it certainly hits home, and this whole year has hit home in that respect. Uh, every kid's life at any high school, you know, is precious. Something about East in terms of symbolizing Denver, it's, it's regardless the flagship school of the Denver Public Schools, and it, it, it plays sort of a historic role in this community in that regard. You wanted something hopeful or wishful here for this first go-around, Kyle, and you know I'm struggling to, mm -hmm. struggling to give that to you. It was new information for 99% of people. I don't think 99% of people had any idea that somebody who was such a risk to the community that he requires a daily pat-down is in school alongside their little Johnny or their little mm -hmm. Sally. Um, so I think there was a shock to that in addition to obviously just the shock of, of the event itself. And people like uh, Austin Lyle, Chris is absolutely right. They, you know, they're entitled to an education and there has to be a place for them. But there also has to be a place for basic norms and rules of society and the ability to, to send your kid off to school in the morning mm -hmm. with total, complete confidence and not even a doubt in your mind that they're going to come home at the end of the day. Adam. I think, um, you know, we've, we've talked on this program a bit about the, the public safety crisis we've seen in the city, and that, that goes to our schools. Uh, I think we've seen that the last couple months. Um, and I want to emphasize here, somewhere along the way, uh, we failed this child. We failed the other children who were impacted by yesterday, just like when we have someone homeless on the streets of Denver, we failed them. Or when we have someone uh, injecting fentanyl in our libraries, we failed them. And this is a time for us as a community to ask ourselves, who do we want to be? Uh, we have an election coming up here shortly. We have candidates on there talking about issues like this. And we need to decide, uh, are we going to stand up and work together to fix our community and make our community safer and make our community better? Um, so I, I, this is a horrible tragedy. And I, I hope it spurs us to have some of these tough conversations as a, as a city. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the, the, the whole presence of safety in the schools. I had never heard of these safety plans before. And the fact that there were two administrators who were just doing their job. Mm -hmm. you know, when we go to the airport, the flight attendants don't pat us down. It's trained security people. You know, I mean, had you guys ever heard about this before? This was the big surprise, certainly, yeah. yes, on Monday, as on Wednesday, as the news is breaking, and you hear he was in a safety plan. So he'd been at Overland, he had a weapons charge in Aurora. Mm -hmm. For whatever behavior issues, he was no longer in the Cherry Creek schools. He went to East. And you understand, East is a flagship. East has had tough students, it has tough faculty, 
but it's a great school. They know how to deal with being in the inner city. So that this happened there, but, and this kid was on a school plan where you have educators patting him down because there are no SROs. You would assume mm. you don't have your deans be the ones responsible for patting someone down. You would hope you could have metal detectors or wands or at least people who are trained for that not to teach Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the worry I have is how can these kids go back to learning to be focused in the classroom? You know, you know I think they, I mean, obviously they will. Um, kids are resilient. Um, teachers are resilient. I, I don't, you know, thinking back Columbine, I still am in touch with some teachers that I uh, used to have, and, you know, they went right back to school. Um, it's hard. It's scary. I think knowing that there'll be a resource officer, multiple resource officers in the school will be helpful. I have to think of that, the vast majority of kids are not violent. Um, mm. The idea that this would happen again in this school is, uh, particularly with safety officers being there, I, I don't see that happening. Um, learning will continue. Um, it's gonna be hard for a while. Because it happened a month ago, like mm -hmm. a Columbine, Nothing like that had ever happened before, and they all came together and were. But you know, will the kids be thinking, "Will something happen next month at East High School?" I'm flashing yeah. on two conversations over the last, you know, 12, 18 hours. One this morning with a good friend whose son is a senior at East, and was a pallbearer not much more than a week ago at Luis Garcia's service because they were friends through the soccer team. This is a, a young man of still a boy probably of 17 or 18 years old getting ready to graduate. That is a whole lot of trauma. That is a whole lot to process in a short period of time. And that should not be what school is about. Another conversation yesterday with a very close friend of an eighth grader. And they live not far from East. And even before yesterday, that, that kid was not going to East just based on the reputation of the school these days. And I think that is true for a whole lot of people. We can get into a whole school choice argument, which I won't. But, you know, for people who do have choice, they're choosing schools right now other than East. You were talking earlier about how we failed our kids, you know, failed different people. You know, I feel like these students, especially at East, March 3rd, they went down to the Capitol. They mm. returned to the Capitol on Thursday. They are demanding, please help us. And as adults, are we even responding to them. Now we have to respond to them. Well, and, and this is topical because the legislature is debating a, a package of bills aimed particularly at firearm ownership, whether it's waiting periods, age restrictions, those sorts of things. Uh, we had a, a East High School student come down yesterday during one of the House hearings who said, uh, this is the reality of being young in America, sitting through a shooting and waiting for information just hours before you're scheduled to testify in support of gun safety bills. Um, so unfortunately, this is becoming things students are becoming accustomed to. I think the political pressure uh, is intense at the Capitol right now. Uh, in addition to the, the firearm legislation, there is a, a mental health bill um, from Rep. Michael Sengenay aimed at uh, continuing an existing program called iMatter, which focuses on providing mental health screenings and some, some other services in schools. And I think that's also going to pick up steam in that conversation about uh, what other resources become available to students in the wake of all this. I wanted to respond to something Krista said, which is this happened on the anniversary of the Boulder shootings. Mm -hmm. So when 10 people were killed, and we have to remember there are 
different kinds of violence. It's all bad. But Columbine was very different. Mm -hmm. Columbine was two kids who came from non-broken marriages. Mm -hmm. They had a mother. They had a father. Same with the shooter who still hasn't gone on trial in the Boulder case. So there's a very big difference between these people who are going in with this spectacular doomsday concept or this kid who seemed to be, he just needed a gun to get through life what, for whatever reason. He didn't go in with some scheme. He just was a kid who'd gone off the rails. And the question is, why? Did he not feel safe without a gun? And it's in the neighborhood. You wonder, do kids not feel safe? Did they feel safer in school than getting to school? Uh, Luis Garcia was killed outside the school. The other shootings were outside the East High School, not inside. So. It's danger all over, but I do think we need to differentiate between mm -hmm. the mass tragedies. There are these crazed people who just want to get attention and get back at the world, and then people who are just trying to live in the world, and we don't know what happened with this kid. Mm -hmm. Eric? Well, I'll just follow on that and agree with so much of what's been being said around this table, but I think yesterday encapsulated for me so much of what is going on with our kids these days. I mean, you understand why violence takes place at school. If you have kids sitting next to you in class or in the hallway or whatever who are on these safety plans, who require pat-downs, we wonder why teachers and staff are burned out. We wonder why there is an epidemic of mental health crisis among young people. We wonder why education is lagging and the scores are awful. Mm -hmm. and all the rest. Um, and it encapsulated all of that and brought it together. And I think it also it sort of says something about Denver. You know, we're in the middle of a mayoral race, and maybe we'll get to that in terms of the connection to this story. But um, Denver's a city in crisis. And I don't think there's anything, any getting around that or any sugarcoating that. And uh, yesterday clearly brought that home and put an exclamation point on it. I feel like you know the mayor and the police chief when they were talking to listening to the parents and the students just screaming you could see on their faces they're aware of that they're well aware of that and I think the statistics to, to add to this conversation reflect what we're seeing um, so according to the Colorado Bureau of Investigation uh, in 2022, throughout the city of Denver, 979 kids between the ages of 10 and 17 were victims of violent crimes. There were 757 arrests for violent crimes in Denver, and that's crimes like assault, robbery, or murder. That's a significant jump uh, from what we've seen in previous years, uh, and significantly more in Denver even than statewide in some cases. So I think that adds to show this, this isn't just our imagination. We're, we're feeling it. And unfortunately, we're also seeing the repercussions uh, throughout the city. I wanted to mention to, to Patty's point, I think she's right. There is a difference between a Columbine killer and this young man. But I still think we have to ask the question, um, how do you raise a child without a moral core? I grew up in a home with guns. My dad was a collector. Those guns were kept packed away. I was uh, reinforced every day of my life that you, you don't hurt people. Um, you don't even point a gun at somebody except in self-defense hammered into me so much that when I went to go play video games, to this day, I cannot point a fake gun at a fake person. It is so drilled into me that life is precious. So how do we end up with kids that kill other kids? How do we end up with kids who shoot at, um, 
who shoot at administrators? How do we end up with uh, people who, and he's not that much older than, than uh, the kid this week, the, the Club Q shooter, who goes and kills a whole bunch of people. Who are these people that kill, and how is it that you manage to go 18 years in a home and not pick up a lesson like, don't kill people? And is it us, the parents, the adults that are surrounding these kids? Like the, the red flag law discussion that was in the state capitol on Wednesday, it was allow teachers to kind of give the, hey, there's this child in my class. You know, that would be expanded to allow teachers. You know, um, I don't, is it, yeah. Well, part of that, to play off what Adam was talking about, it's also kids who are younger. So when you talk about failing kids, not taking care of them, I mean, obviously they don't, they're not getting good input at home. Mm. Maybe teachers are gonna help. You've gotta have someone in a position who can help them. But if you look at the crimes, I was just hearing Reverend Leon Kelly talking, the crimes are now happening 10-year-olds. Mm -hmm. And 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds, we had a 12-year-old who was killed in the um, car hijacking issue. We had a 14-year-old who killed a woman driving um, down Auraria Parkway in a road rage incident. So they're younger and younger. And now you have the legislature also talking about um, raising the age at which they can be charged go to, and be incarcerated. And in fact, it looks like what we should be looking at is reducing the age or certainly putting a lot of people on safety plans that actually work. Yeah, that, that is a very fiery debate in the state capitol, isn't it, right now? It is, yeah. It's one of the conversations surrounding all this. And, and I would argue, to the administration's weighed in on some of this with sort of this, uh, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment is really now taking sort of a public health position and look into guns. So they're now trying to move away from this idea of guns being uh, related to certain specific things and saying this is a larger societal cause. How do we intervene at a younger age? Um, and how do we ensure that there are repercussions to direct people to services? We're also seeing an effort from a Denver representative aimed at uh, taking away the ability to arrest for low-level offenses from, from peace officers. Um, and the, unfortunately, we shouldn't equate arrest to prosecution. Sometimes with arrest, it helps divert people to other programs. Um, and so we need to ensure that we do have laws that are available for these sort of early diversions before we get to a point where someone has access to a firearm and, and the worst case scenario happens. You know, in the Denver mayor's race, we've talked a lot about adding more police officers, which if we're putting some police officers in schools, yes, we need to add more. Um, and a lot of the candidates are split. Um, a, you know, a lot of them are split on if there should be SROs back in schools. This next person, I mean, with the next, what, 10 days to go before the election, I think a lot of Denverites are thinking, who is going to help us through this right now? I, I think, could, oh, go ahead. No, you go, Patty. Well, I think we're going to see uh, maybe some of the candidates rethinking their positions, especially if they had been less law and order, that they will certainly try to nuance their positions to show that I think we'll see everyone going for SROs or maybe SROs that are kept close and they've got an advisory board, but I don't see anyone objecting to that mm -hmm. if they want to win the mayor's race and make it a safer city. There's no question that we made a mistake in 2020. The Denver School Board made a big mistake by, getting the, by removing the SROs. You know, I think we're getting down to maybe five or six plausible candidates who can make this runoff. I'm not going to go through the names. And it's a crapshoot in terms of who gets into the runoff. In terms of who comes out of the runoff and is the next mayor of Denver, it is not going to be someone 
who had the wrong position on SROs. It is not going to be someone who does not advocate for at least getting the Denver Police Force up to its authorized strength, if not adding on top of that authorized strength. This is not Portland or San Francisco right now, and this is not even Denver circa 2019 or possibly Denver circa 2030. This is Denver circa 2023, where there's a perception that crime is rampant and out of control, homelessness is rampant and out of control, and that there's too much of a pr approach of kid gloves. I've written about this multiple times, but I do believe that the electorate out there, and I'm not sure anyone is talking, with the exception of Andy Rougeau, who's not gonna be the next mayor, but that any of the more plausible candidates are really talking in a way that the electorate wants to hear in terms of the gravity of, the, of, uh, of what's confronting our city. Krista, mm -hmm. your thoughts? I, you know, I'm thinking uh, the, the, one of the important things about having police visible is that it's a deterrent. Um, it is a, it's an adult with training. Um, an armed adult, who's, it, it is a deterrent to anyone that would come into that school with the intent to shoot. Um, I think it's important that we have officers visible everywhere. Um, I think it's a return to a, more of a broken windows philosophy in which we don't allow uh, uh, chaos, because chaos communicates something. When you have, whether it's uh, vagrants in tents and you've got trash and you've got you know, even broken windows, graffiti, all of that communicates something to people that, hey, chaos is the way it is, I can be a part of that. Mm -hmm. When things are clean, things are, are safe, it communicates something else. I remember pre and post Giuliani, New York City, the broken windows versus uh, windows that aren't broken, and people respond to those. And, mm -hmm. I, and I don't think you do that in a vacuum, I don't think that's the only thing you do. I think identifying troubled kids and getting them help. Um, when I substitute taught, uh, a year or so ago, um, I remember kids in the third and fourth grade that were so troubled that I thought, I think I may be looking at a kid who will potentially do violence. How do you intervene um, when maybe even when parents are unwilling or blinded to the fact that you've got a child who is already acting out in a violent way at a young age? Yeah. Thank you all. Um, we're not over yet. We're, we are going to keep up some tradition with this show because every week we do close. We're talking about, you know, something, the highs and lows of our week. And clearly we have talked about the biggest low possible that we have had this week in Colorado. But Patty, please start off the panel. Was there something else that surprised you or disappointed you? And then we will end on, on a positive note. Well, I have to say before the East High shooting, I was watching the Dominion versus Fox motions hearing in Delaware. So this lawsuit that's scheduled for April is going there, the judge is hearing motions to dismiss the case or make a judgment in the case right now. We have to remember, elections coming up. Our election officers work hard in Colorado. They do a good job. They need to be supported. They do not need to have Fox News mocking them. So, tr so get ready to vote and trust the vote. Mm -hmm. Kind of along those same lines, one of the uh, players in the whole conspiracy theory big lie scenario, along with Rudy Giuliani and Powell and others, was Jenna Ellis, originally a, uh, a Colorado lawyer, 
and uh, she's been reprimanded for the lies that she told. Now, whether she told them as lies or simply she was duped and thought they were not lies, it doesn't matter. She has been reprimanded for that, and I think it's time for all of the folks that were involved in pushing false information to the detriment of companies like Dominion and others, that all of them pay some price for what they did. I'm going to stay on topic with my disgrace and just, there's another election, we're talking about the mayor's race, there's an election coming up in November for seats on the Denver School Board. That just got even more consequential and hotter uh, with the events of, yes, of, of Wednesday and, and, and over the last uh, few weeks. And there's some DPS school board members who have some serious explaining to do. I'm going to look to the, the legislature for mine. Uh, something we haven't talked about, there is a uh, consumer protection bill making its way. That's sort of the guise of the bill uh, from AG Weiser and a couple reps. Really what this would do is override existing law to the degree that the Consumer Protection Act in Colorado has sharp teeth for a reason. There's a high threshold of proof required in order to get trouble damage and damages and these sorts of things. This, the way they want to take this bill is wipe out that standard. This would create a horrible litigious environment for business, big and small across the state. So keep your eyes on that bill. It's going to be up for a vote on Monday. Okay. Um, let's end, please, on something positive, hopeful. Well, here you go. In 100 years, yeah. Denver has made progress. 100 years ago this year, we elected a mayor who was a member of the KKK. The city was far more dangerous. And a longtime Westward writer, Alan Prendergast, just wrote this great book that's being released. He'll have a reading a tattered cover on the 31st. It's called Gangbuster, and it's Philip Van Syce who went after the KKK, who went after the crooks, and cleaned up Denver. So it can be done. Okay. I just adopted another animal. Um, I'm working on becoming an animal hoarder. Um, but I, I wanted to give a shout out to all of the organizations in Colorado, what, you know, whether it's uh, local rescues or Denver, you know, Dumb Friends League and others, I just encourage people, um, find, you know, if you've got room in your home, um, adopt an animal from a shelter or from an, uh, a bad situation so that that animal can, can live a good life. Is this the bunny? This is the bunny. Okay. Yeah. All right. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> good for you, Krista. Uh, speaking of hopeful notes, uh, Daniel's found, Daniel's Fund, the local mm -hmm. foundation, announced earlier this week 238 new kids across four states, but mostly Colorado, as new Daniel scholars. I was, again, privileged to be part of that interview process. These are kids who are rocking it and will rock it in the future and have overcome tough circumstances to demonstrate that tough circumstances can be overcome. Mm -hmm. And Godspeed to all of them on their college path. We need that. Thank you for sharing. Sure, and back to the Capitol, uh, the much-anticipated governor's housing bill has finally been introduced, all 106 pages of it. Um, I think it's going to be a, a big fight for the next uh, month and a half as we wind down session, but uh, excited to kick off this conversation and see if we can't work with locals and business and the state to come up with a, a solution to address our housing crisis. Oh, we'll be talking about that next week. Thank you. Thank you all. And thank you for watching at home. You can watch this show on pbs12.org anytime or share it with a friend. In fact, please share this show with a friend. We need to listen to one another about what matters to each other and have more conversations move forward and make sure each of us is safe and feels safe. We have work to do, and we can do it together. So let's go, Denver. I'm Kyle Dyer. I'll see you next week here on PBS 12.